you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I want to begin there this morning. Um, I'm going to tell you, as you have just a moment longer to find it, uh, my intention, my intention for a couple weeks now uh, had been to preach to you about King David. That is, would, that's what's been on my heart. And uh, anyways, I think I've even mentioned it to you, at least last week, maybe even the week before. And uh, as I was studying and preparing uh, to preach about David this morning, um, I couldn't get away from King Saul. <laughs> and so anyways, the two are so interconnected that I'm really, I'm going to start out talking about Saul this morning, uh, and then we'll go from there, and, and maybe we'll end up at, I mean, we're going to talk about David some because the two are so intertwined, uh, in, in, but we may not get to what I wanted to get to about David until tonight. And so anyways, it may, it may take this morning and tonight together to make a whole sermon to make sense, okay? So you just stay with me. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 1 says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gabeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gibba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear that all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was, uh, had an abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul at Gilgal. Verse 5, And the Philistines gathered to, uh, to themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in uh, Mitchmash or Micmash, however you say that, eastward from Beth Haven when the men of Israel saw that there were that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and, Gil and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the uh, set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered uh, from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Samuel went out to meet him, uh, that he might salute him. I'm sorry, and Saul went out to meet him, went out to meet Samuel that he might salute him. And Samuel said, this is verse 11, And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the, uh, the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, 
the Philistines will come down upon me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Will you pray with me this morning? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, for the roof you put over our head, for the community that we live in. We thank you, Lord, for our church family, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for each one who's gathered here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for every blessing that you poured out on us. But we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. We're not worthy. We couldn't do enough to repay you. We couldn't even, not in a million, years could we even thank you enough but God let us always be a people that gives you praise and glory because you alone are worthy Uh, let all honor be given to you and Lord I pray as we go forward in this service here this morning God you know our hearts you know our needs you know where we stand you know what we're facing what we're going through what we're dealing with. You know the attacks of the enemy, Lord God, uh, that we have faced and and still yet will face. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is, is being the searcher of hearts that you are, God, that you would move upon each one of us here this morning. Lord, that you'd meet every need here in our midst this morning. God, that you'd lift us up, that you would encourage us. Lord, that you'd draw us near to you. Lord, my heart's desire is every one of us would leave here different than how we come in, that we would leave here um, changed, that we would leave here um, with a greater love and appreciation and understanding of who you are and what you've done and what you are doing. I pray that each one of us would leave here with a greater burden for a lost and dying world. I pray here, Lord, that if there's any of us that walked in here this morning that didn't know you, any that's, that come in here this morning that's just been playing church and been playing games with you. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would just... Um, uh, uh, God, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit. God, I pray, Lord, that, uh, uh, Lord, that you'd pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them. God, that you wouldn't give them any peace until they would repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. God, let today be the day. Lord, that they're born anew into your kingdom. So Lord, what I'm asking is for you to have your way and your will in our midst, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. And Lord, I'm asking for my own self. I need your help. I can't preach lest you give it to me. Lest you do it. 
So, Lord, I'm asking, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say. God, my heart's desire, Lord, is for it to flow, Lord, from my spirit to theirs. And, Lord, they would know that it just came through me. I'm just the messenger this morning, but that the message come from you. It's your message, your words, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that it would accomplish its intended purposes, Lord, and that it would find its lodging place in the heart of each and every one that is here. And God will give you all the glory for it. Lord, we'll leave here today saying it has been good to be in the house of God. So I'm asking, preach me one more time here this morning. I'm asking for your holy unction, for your anointing, and we'll give you all the glory. God, we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name, and we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Do you know how many kings there was over the nation of Israel? Over the whole nation of Israel. Do you know how many kings there was? There's only three. Then you might stop and think, now wait a minute. Isn't there like, I, I should have counted them, I didn't count them, but like 40 some or more than that, bitching first, second king, first, second chronicles, really second chronicles? It was kind of a trick question. There was only three kings over a united and whole nation of Israel. All them other kings was either the king of the northern kingdom of Israel or kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. If I, I should have looked it up and I didn't, and I'm just going off of vague memory, but I think there was 20 or 20-some kings of each one of those kingdoms, of the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. But you see, before the kingdom split, before it divided, there was actually only three kings, right? The three kings that had you know, full reigns and reigned over a united kingdom of Israel. The first king is King Saul, who I just was reading about here uh, in chapter 13. The second one is the most famous, King David. That's who wrote the psalm that uh, Dorna uh, read to us uh, a while ago, right? Uh, king, king David, the psalmist. And then the third king is King Solomon, that's David's son, David and Bathsheba's son, Solomon. He's the third and final king. Now, whenever his son, uh, Rehoboam, took over, that's when the, the kingdom was split. And so anyways, um, was at, during that transition. And so anyways, um, let's talk about this for a minute. Um, I could spend a bunch of time talking about how they got to where they're at. I'm not sure that's what the Lord wants me to do today. I'll just simply say this, as God had led them out, uh, they were slaves in Egypt, right? Remember that? Okay. Right, right. Well, I preached to you last week about Joseph, okay? So Joseph, and because God used Joseph to save his family and led them, right, what was it, 70, 70 some souls uh, was the, Joseph's entire family. We went into Egypt, right? And then they, their 400 years in Egypt, uh, they become a nation, right? A, a nation birthed inside of a nation, Right, uh, Joseph and, and his family, uh, his ancestors, I guess Jacob's children and all their descendants, uh, they come out of there uh, in the millions, okay? I, I mean, there's a lot of debate on the, what the exact number is, but it's more than a million, right? <laughs> it's a lot. They come out of there. A nation is birthed in there. 
Uh, remember, they wander in the wilderness 40 years. Moses leads them, right? And then they come in, and Joshua leads them into the promised land, which we know, right, it was called Canaan land, and then, but God gave it to Israel. And so anyways, and that's, we know it is Israel, you know, from then on. Uh, and so anyways, or the promised land, because it's land to him and his descendants and so anyways Joshua leads them into there right but then they're led for about 400 years by judges okay right they, they, they have these judges that leads them right Samuel being the last of the judges right remember uh, even um, um, I just lost his name Delilah Samson, thank you. Wow. I was wanting to say everything but Samson. He was one of the judges. You know, uh, Jephthah was one of the judges. You know, we, we just go on through, just go on down through the, the, through the list there of all these different judges during that time period. But there comes a point, right, what had happened was, was Eli was the judge before Samuel. And Eli had kind of started to turn things over to his sons to hand it over to them, right, to be the judges. And they're wicked bad guys, right? So that doesn't, isn't going well at all. So Samuel becomes the next judge. And if you read that very carefully, it's easy to miss. Samuel's sons are no better than what Eli's sons was. And Samuel's getting old and he's doing the same thing and he's kind of handing things over to his boys and let them, you know, carry on and, and judge Israel. And the people have outwardly said, we want a king like all the other nations around them. Now, that's another sermon for another time. I will just simply say this, it wasn't God's will, it was the will of the people to have a king, okay? But, and Samuel is upset at first because he takes it personal at first, right? And then God speaks to Samuel, and that's just like not very much before where I read here this morning. Samuel, or God speaks to Samuel and says, look, don't take it personal, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me that they are rejecting. And so God gives them what they want. Even though it's not what's best for them, it's not the best idea. And he warns them what it's going to be like. Look, it's going to cost you. It's not going to be as great as you think it's going to be. But anyways, he goes ahead and he gives them. And I actually think, and I, I don't know how much I should get into this, but I actually think with Saul, the first king, now, God picks and tells Samuel to anoint Saul as king. But I think what God is giving them, right, he's giving them what they want, and I think he's, there, he's giving them a man that looks like what they think a king ought to look like. So let's talk about Saul. Saul is, is, is a son of Kish. He is of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul is, when Saul is first introduced um, in chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9, you can start reading the first verse. That's where Saul is first introduced. Saul is a young man. I, I, I hesitate to call him a boy. I don't know exactly how old he is because the scripture doesn't say. But he is he's just a young, naive farm boy. And I don't know if I should say this about him, but I'm going to. He is a tall, strapping, good-looking young man. Problem is, is usually the better looking they are, the dumber they are. 
I don't guess that's a hard, fast rule, but it's, you know, kind of a pretty close kind of rule of thumb. I don't think Saul is that smart. I think he's young. I think he's strong. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. Good looking. Dumb farm boy. <laughs> he has a problem with knowing what to do. He has a problem with being um, incisive. Is that the right word? You know, unable to make a decision. He, we see him in chapter 9. He's introduced to us in chapter 9. Um, his father, right? Uh, some of his father's herd, right? Some of the, uh, I think it's some of the donkeys, if I remember right, have gotten away. They have disappeared. Uh, and so anyways, he sends Saul and, and one of the servants, right? One of the farmhands uh, to, go, to go with Saul to find them. And they go looking, and at first it sounds like, man, they went halfway across the country looking everywhere for them. You know, if you, just, if you just read through that real fast and don't check any of it out. But if you actually look in and get a map and see where they... They've not went very far from house. Now, they've been traveling for a couple days, right, looking for these, but they've not, they've not really went that far away. But you see there, if you read that, that Saul doesn't really know what to do. And so the servant, right, uh, is, is the one that's actually starting to instruct and guide Saul on, on what to do, right? We see there in the very beginning, Saul is, is, is unable to make decisions and know really what to do. And we see that if we look through Saul and we look through his entire life, we see that same pattern over and over and over again, right? All through the time he's king, right? He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what it looks like to be a king, right? He doesn't really know what the king is supposed to do. And then when he comes to points where he needs to make decisions and he needs to make good, wise, godly decisions, he makes the wrong decision over and over and over again. We see right here in the very scriptures I read to you, right? Uh, he is scared he's and I'll talk more about it here in a minute he's freaking out and he makes the wrong decision right well, you go forward to chapter 15 and you see again right he's giving clear instructions from God to go in and to kill everybody right what does he do he doesn't do it he, they save the best of the livestock and they and they save um, the king right the king of the Amaleks Agag or whatever his name is, they say that he saves them alive. When Samuel shows up, right, Saul says to him, oh, we've done exactly what God told us to do. And then Samuel says, then what's that ble bleeding, right? What's the sheep that I hear in the background? You were supposed to kill them all. And Samuel says, oh, well, the people, right? He's talking about his troops. He blames it on them. He said they wanted to keep those and offer them as a sacrifice to God. Foolish, foolish, foolish Saul. We see Saul, um, and his, he chased David for years and tries to kill David. He's jealous of David. It's like Saul, he wants to hang on to being king just for the sake of being the king. Um, he, if he ever had sight of building a kingdom, he has definitely long since lost sight of building and establishing a kingdom or anything like that. And, he, and it's almost like he just wants to be king for the sake of being king at this point. He's jealous of David. He's a little bit of afraid of David. Um, 
he is he chased David, he tries to kill David, and then he turns around and he's calling David's son, and I'm, you know, I'm wrong and you're right. And then the next thing we know, in a chapter or two later, he's chasing David again, trying to kill David again. Right? We, we see this back and forth right, with him throughout his whole life. We get plumbed down to the end of his life whenever he goes and he doesn't know what to do right uh, the philistines have you know that's that's israel's main enemy their main foe during this period of time right is the philistines and they're going back and forth having wars and fighting with them and we get plumbed down to the end of of, of samuel's life, or not samuel but saul's life samuel's already dead right and so we're at the end of saul's life and and the, again this you know this whole war and battle's coming up, and he doesn't know what to do. And what does he do? Does any of you remember? He goes to a witch at Endor to have to see if she can summon up the spirit of Samuel to tell him what to do. That is a picture of Saul and who Saul is. And we see this over and over and over throughout his life. It had been made clear to him, before you feel too sorry for him, it had been made clear to him by Samuel, especially in chapter 12, the chapter right before where we read. All that he had to do and all Israel had to do was what God said. Be obedient. Be obedient. I'm not going to leave you hanging and, and not, you know, give you instructions. You're going to have to be patient, right? This is what happens here. Did, did, you, did you get the story that as I read it to you this morning of what had happened here, right? Um, the, the, the Israelites had a nice little victory over the Philistines. Um, the Philistines were so upset um, that it was, it says an abomination. It means a stink, a... a, 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 a I lost the word I wanted to use there. But they were a stench in the nostrils. Israel was a stench in the nostrils of the, uh, of the Philistines. You know, they were so upset about all this and the things that had taken place that, you know, you heard the saying that it makes them want to spit, you know. I mean, they just, they just absolutely couldn't stand and despise them. So what the Philistines do, they gathered a huge army, right? I mean, you know, Saul and them are putting together 3,000 and 6,000, right? And they put together 30,000 plus, what was it, 6,000 horsemen and put together this huge, we're talking 10 times the size of the army, right? And so Saul is, is, gather, is gathered together with what little bit of army he's got. God has given clear instructions through Samuel to wait. He tells him it's going to be seven days, but to wait for Samuel to show up, offer the sacrifices, and seek the will of the Lord, and then go on with what God tells them to do from there. That's what happens, right? The big army has gathered, right? Reports and reports are coming back, right? He is seeing the enemy, right? His own people, right? All of the nation of Israel, they hadn't seen an army like this, not from the Philistines. They're scared to death. Right? It says they're hiding everywhere, caves and thickets and under rocks and, and wherever, right? He sees his army, right? I mean, they are just, they are just people are just, uh, they're just leaving. They're sneaking out and they're scattering and, and they're getting scared and they're getting nervous, right? In, in his army, right? The troops in his army, they're deserting, 
right? They're leaving, they're deserving, deserting. Seven days comes by, right? Samuel has not showed up yet, right? I think the being late, the seven days, I actually think it was on purpose. I think it was a test of Saul. Are you going to trust God and are you going to patiently wait even though uh, the odds are overwhelmingly against you, right? In all human reasoning, you're in big trouble. And the longer you wait, the bigger trouble you're in. That's the human mind. That is human logic and human reasoning on the situation that he's in. He's waited the seven days. I can see it almost as he's like barely waited the seven days. And he's like, all right, I've got to do something, right? Uh, and you see that same thing. You see that in the, le- in the leaders who um, maybe ain't really cut out for it and they're trying to do it. And they make the decision, they make the wrong decision for the wrong reasons at the wrong, every time. And we see that's what, that's what Saul does here. Saul actually, and I told you, he's confi- it's almost like he's confused on what the role of the king is. He's indecisive. We see him throughout his life, right, as leading the troops as a warrior. But we see him taking the role of prophet earlier. We see him taking the role right here as priest, right? We see him assuming these roles that aren't his to assume. And so he says, all right, bring me all the stuff. I'll just make the offering." So that's what happened. Right? They bring him the animals, and he makes the offering. And as soon as he's done making the offering, Samuel shows up. Tell me it's not a test of God, or whether or not Saul is going to wait and trust in the Lord. Here's what Saul didn't understand. Here's what Saul missed. Saul did not need an army to defeat the Philistines. Do you see that? Do you get that? Saul did not need an army to defeat the enemy. What Saul needed was God. That's what he needed. And he is totally, I mean, his, it, that has left his mind. He is not even thinking that away. Let's, let's, let's look back at this for just a minute. Why did Saul do what he did? He says it's because Samuel was late. He saw that the people are are scared. His army is, literally the word there is they're melting, right? He sees his army melting. They uh, They are just leaving him left and right. They are scattering out. He says he's afraid if he waits any longer that he's going to lose his whole army. So what he does, I love the way he says it in verse 12. Therefore said I, right, this is Saul talking, so he said, said I, like he said, I said to myself, the Philistines will come down now upon me in Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. Listen to this. I forced myself, I forced myself, therefore, to do bad, to do the wrong thing, to disobey God. I didn't want to do it, but I forced myself to do this thing and offer to burnt offering. Listen to me. What appeared 
to be valid excuses, right? If you think about the army melting away and Samuel's late and all that, or what appears to be late, by man's reasoning, right? What appears to be valid excuses by man's reasoning did not change the fact that Saul has disobeyed God. And because of this, I'll reread the verses here in a minute, Saul will lose the kingdom. Right? God has already found another man, one after his own heart. And look, I, like I said, this is just one of several sins and disobediences that Saul, don't think it's just because of this one instance, uh, but anyways, that resulted in him losing the throne. Here's what I want you to hear from me this morning. Just like Saul, we often want to gloss over our mistakes and our sins. We often try to, just like Saul, justify our actions because of our special circumstances, right? That's what Saul is saying. Saul is saying, I understand what the rules is, but I had special circumstances here. That's why I forced myself to do this. Think about your own self now. We do the same thing. But his excuses, was, weren't, it was nothing more than disobedience to God. Our excuses are nothing more than disobedience to God. Uh, God knows our motives. He knows our heart. And I mean, yes, he can forgive us. He can restore us again. He can bless our lives again. Um, but that's only going to happen after we get honest about our sins and stop trying to hide them behind a bunch of excuses. I, the scripture reading, Psalms 51 today, I pretty much always, I do always pick that. I didn't, I didn't pick um, Colvin's last week, but I, he picked his. But otherwise, I, I pretty much always pick that. I always pick it, it's, I feel led there, and it has to do with, usually with the sermon that I'm preaching, some, somehow. I actually picked Psalm 51 thinking that I was preaching about David, not Saul this morning. But as this developed, I realized God knew a whole lot better than I what he was doing. You see, David wasn't perfect either. I'll talk about that some more tonight, but... David committed adultery. David committed murder. He was a man. He had blood on his hands. I mean, he had done all kinds of awful things. But what's, what separated Saul from David is contained there in Psalm 51. Why is David a man after God's own heart? Not because David is perfect and sinless. Far from it. Not because David is a great parent. As a matter of fact, if I was going to pick somebody out of the Bible to illustrate as what not to do with a father, David would be very high on the list. David is a man after God's own heart because of his willingness 
I don't know how to say it, because of his heart, because of his willingness to repent, truly repent. Now, there's times when Saul said, oh, I've done wrong and I'm sorry. But we can see by Saul's actions that it, that really wasn't from the heart. He didn't really mean it, right? We, we talked about repentance a bunch in our Bible study. Repentance is not just coming to the altar and saying, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, right? A, a repentance is not just admitting, okay, yeah, I'm wrong. I was wrong. Sorry, forgive me, please. That's not repentance. Repentance is turning, right? Turning away from sin and turning towards God, right? Repentance is saying, God, I am never going to do that any longer. And Lord, I need your help, right? To walk the way, right? Create in me, right? A, 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 a clean heart, right? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, God. Help me, strengthen me as I turn from the sin. Lord, give me the strength to, resi to resist uh, the temptation, right? And to follow you and to never fall into that again. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. And then he says that he, he says, I beseech you, right? That's beseech us. I beg you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Listen to me. God wants to bless us. God wants to bless you. He wanted to bless Saul. He wants to bless me. He wants to bless you. And he wants to use us. He wanted to use Saul to build the kingdom. He wants to use you and me to build the kingdom. But there's one thing. There's a catch. You have got to live a life that allows God to use you. This is where we run into some problems, right? You see, the things that we do and the things that we don't do can hinder what God wants to do for us, in us, through us, and with us. Look, my job today is not to give you every single detail that I can think of and outline it perfectly on how to live a godly life. No, my job today is to show you that by the way that you live and behave, you can either hinder or you can loose what God wants to do with your life. What God is wanting to do through you for the kingdom of God. That's why he tells us, right, Matthew 5, uh, what is it, Matthew 5, 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which in heaven uh, is perfect, right? And then 1 Peter 1, 15 says, Be ye uh, holy, for I am holy, right? Either you are striving for the life that God has called you to live, or you're just coasting along, doing what you want, doing what's right in your own eyes, doing what you think is best. Do you not see that? That's what Saul's problem was. That's what he did. I mean, look for just a minute. Again, I know I said it a minute ago, but let me say it again. At Saul's life, right? After he's made king, the first king of Israel, he makes all kinds of bad decisions. And what does he do? Right? David made bad decisions too, but we see David repenting, right? What we see uh, Saul doing in sin is we see Saul blaming others for his actions, right? We see Saul acting out of fear. We see Saul acting out of self-interest. And when he's confronted, 
he refuses to repent. And because of that kind of heart and that kind of attitude, you see him confused on what he's supposed to be doing. You see him taking on the role of prophet. And then in chapter 13 here, the role of priest, right? You see in uh, chapter 15, his disobedience and what he was supposed to do uh, with the Amalek and, and that nation and their king, right? We see Saul's jealousy of David, right? As the women are saying, Saul's killed his thousand and David his 10,000, right? We see Saul's uh, jealousy. We see Saul scheming, right? Saul gives his wife to David, but he only sees it as an opportunity in order to get David. David in a spot where David can get killed, right? We see Saul trying to just flat out run David through with his spear. We see Saul gathering an army and relentlessly chasing David uh, and then repenting and then turning around and doing it again, right? We see Saul uh, who had earlier given his daughter to David and then after he runs David off trying to kill him, he gives uh, his daughter to another man to marry, right? Uh, We see, and then at the end of his life, we see Saul uh, when he visits the woman, right? Uh, The Bible says that she has a familiar spirit. That means that she is a medium, a soothsayer, right? In other words, she was the witch of Endor, right? We see him uh, going to her uh, in order to to try to summon Samuel's um, spirit in order to get advice on what to do, direction on what to do. And then finally Saul ends his life committing suicide, falling on his own sword. With all that in mind... Listen again to verse 13 and verse 14 of what I read to you in chapter 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded you. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Do you hear what he's saying? If you would have just done what God told you to do, God would have established your throne forever. He's saying what David had, or what he's giving David, and we know that David had, could have been Saul's. Jesus is a descendant. He comes from the line of David, right? He's saying that could have been you, Saul. David, one of the titles for Christ is thou son of David. Right? That's what, the, that, that's what the beggar, right, is saying outside Jericho. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Right? It could have been thou son of Saul, have mercy on me. It's the, it's the eternal promise of the throne of David set up forever and Christ reigning from it. It could have been Saul if it was offered to Saul first. Verse 14. Because of Saul's foolishness. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Saul could have been David. Saul had first shot at it all. Listen to me. There is consequences. There is consequences consequences to the decisions that we make and the lives that we choose to live that extend far, far beyond our own selves. One of the lies that are told today, 
right? And I've heard so many people say it. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. It's my life, my decision. I'll do whatever I want. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. It's not the truth. The decisions that you make affect everybody around you, everybody that you care about, everybody that you love, all those that are close to you and near to you. The decisions you make has a profound and dramatic effect on them in the course of their life, right? You are playing a part in determining the direction and what happens, right? And not just them, but for generations and generations and generations beyond you. So when you make your decision on what you're going to do, be sure that you're ready to pay those consequences. So here's, as Jennifer comes for a song of invitation, here's what I come to tell you. God wants to use you, and he wants to use you in a big way. Hear me. Hear me as if you're hearing from the Lord this morning. God wants to use you in his kingdom. He wants to work through you, and he wants to have a profound effect on those around you. He wants to use you in a big way. The only question is, are you going to live a life that allows him to do that, or are you going to live a life that bounds, ties God's hands concerning what he can do with you and through you. Remember the difference David and Saul. The difference between them is not that one was perfect and the other one wasn't perfect. The difference between them wasn't that one sinned and the other one did not sin. They both sinned. They were both chief of sinners. The difference between them was their heart why God says David is a man after his own heart. Saul made excuses. Saul blamed other people. Saul said I was forced to. Saul said it was my troops that wanted to do that. David didn't make excuses. David said it's me. I did it. Left the punishment beyond me. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Maybe the question should be, are you going to be Saul or are you going to be David? That's the choice that's set before you. I said it a few weeks ago, every one of us is given the choice between life and death. It's set before you, just as it was set before Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Right? Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? Are you going to choose the path of Saul or are you going to choose the path of David? It's your choice to make. What are you going to do? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come this morning? If there's something you need to be seeking the Lord about, would you come? You've got a, maybe some things that, maybe somebody's got to put a burden on your heart for, would you come pray for them? Maybe there's some things in your own life you need to seek the Lord about. Maybe there's some things that you need to uh, just turn over to Him. I don't know what it is. Maybe today you realize you're lost and you're undone. You're not where you ought to be. You're not doing what you ought to be. Now's a good time to come and find an altar of repentance. Uh, Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come this morning? Would you come?